Hello, and welcome to The Staffing Show, the only podcast that delivers tools, tips, and tactics from the staffing and recruiting industry's top executives and thought leaders. This episode is brought to you by Staffing Referrals, the only automated referral management platform chosen by smart staffing firms. Tired of wasting money on traditional job boards? Sick of reminding recruiters about promoting your referral program? Wish you could eliminate admin work spent tracking referrals and scheduling interviews? That's where Staffing Referrals comes in. Imagine transforming your entire talent pool into digital recruiters on behalf of your company. Think about how happy you'll make your team by eliminating wasted time spent tracking referrals and scheduling interviews. There's a reason that Staffing Referrals is one of the fastest growing software platforms in our industry. It's because staffing executives want to scale faster by automating recruiting processes. It's because with Staffing Referrals, you can actually see an ROI. And it's because our world is now more digital than ever and your candidates expect you to keep up. Don't get passed by the competition. Stop missing referrals and start recruiting smarter. Get staffing referrals and improve your tech stack today. To claim one free month, visit www.staffingreferrals.com show. That's staffingreferrals.com show. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of The Staffing Show. Today, I am super excited to be joined by Eric Gregg, who is the CEO and co-founder of Clearly Rated. Eric, thanks for being on the show today. Really appreciate you being here. Excited about this conversation. To kick things off, if you could maybe just give a quick introduction and tell us about how you got into the staffing industry. Yeah, David, thank you. Appreciate it. Glad to be on the call. As we were talking about in the prep, we've been in the same circles for a long time. So it's great to actually get to spend a little more time talking shop and geeking out on client and candidate experience. Eric Gregg, CEO and founder of Clearly Rated. I'm the father of a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old. I want to throw that out. That's actually probably core to how I identify myself. We've got a staffing verticals, our number one vertical that the company does the best of staffing program, which I think a lot of people participate in, recognize. We work with over 300 different staffing recruiting firms, really proud of the fact that we actually launched what I believe is now the largest DEI benchmarking database. We surveyed, I think, over 8,000 internal employees at staffing firms are providing people back you know, an ability to not only see how they're doing, but to see how females rate the experience of working there versus males, how those that identify as LGBTQIA+, you know, how their experience maybe differs from those that don't. And so we love this industry in terms of how we got the start here. Like most people, we sort of stumbled our way into it. We had the fortunate opportunity to work for Express Employment Professionals. And I, I did a project with them that we met them here locally in Portland, the local offices, did a project with them. And Jenny McCallum, who was our lead contact, said, gosh, you know, Bill Stoller should see this. And so I presented to Bill And one of the most fundamental things, David, you'll appreciate this as an entrepreneur, instead of saying, wow, this is great. Don't do this for any of my competitors. He said, hey, this is great. You should be doing this for the whole industry. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yeah. Usually it's the, uh, uh, how do I make sure we're the only ones? (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And he was on the board of the American Staffing Association at the time. So he really encouraged me and kind of shepherded me into that industry. And we built those relationships and, you know, with American Staffing Association, with Career Builder and and really kind of got our foothold, launched Best of Staffing in early 2000. And, nine, and and it's really been just a, a fun ride since then. 
Awesome. That's a, a great background. And I think I remember seeing your booth at Staffing World back in like 2011. And it's like, you've been in it for a long time. So it's, it's really cool to see what you've done with Clearly Rated. And so for our audience today, we're going to be digging into EMPS, which is the Employee Net Promoter Score, touching on DEI and also a little bit of reputation management, which is all critical components to your agency right now, things you should be thinking about. And I really appreciate your background on Clearly Rated. But maybe you could just explain for those of, I think most people in the industry know who Clearly Rated is at this point. Most people see the best of staffing across all of these top agencies' websites. But could you just explain a little bit about who Clearly Rated is and what it is that you guys do? Yeah. So we're a software provider. We provide a piece of software that really takes all of the guesswork out of measuring the client experience, the candidate experience. And as you mentioned, you know, as of 2020, the internal employee experience. And one of the things that we really found, David, you know, we'd been doing this for a while since 2006. And, you know, in 2008, 2009, what really spurred us to launch Best of Staffing was this knowledge that we had some really great service providers. And we also had this industry benchmark that we knew that some of the people we were working with were doing fundamentally better at delivering consistently remarkable outcomes for clients, for job candidates. And yet in the marketplace, they looked like everybody else, right? Everybody was saying the same things, which is, hey, we deliver higher quality candidates, we deliver better service, and nobody could really prove it. And that's really at the core of what we were trying to create with Best of Staffing was just a recognition program for some of the people that we knew were doing way better in the industry, but we didn't feel like we're getting proper credit. That's great. And and how many staffing firms do you work with at this point? I was just looking at this today. We're actually up just over 300 now in terms wow. of staffing firms. When you look at the number of brands, it's actually closer to 400. I think we work with about a third of SIA's fastest growing. We run the survey programs for, I believe, half, maybe six of the 10 largest in the space. So we've been really fortunate that we've been able to build that program and and really tailor it to the staffing space, which is a pretty unique space. That's really great. And with that, I think it's worth maybe just jumping into a lot of agencies I talk to. I talk to agency owners every day. I always ask, what is their NPS when I'm having these conversations? Because it's important for referrals, as we all know. And I, what I find is a lot of agency owners don't actually know. I think even some of the ones that are using it don't really understand it as well as maybe they could. So could you just tell us what is the net promoter score? Yeah, and that not only is Net Promoter Score a really good metric of of sort of you know satisfaction and loyalty, but within the space and within the work that you all do, it is the most important metric, right? Yeah, so you know, on the the referral, yeah, <laughs> it, it literally is the leading question before. Okay, would you please refer us? So yeah. you know, Net Promoter Score is not our methodology. It's the most commonly utilized methodology for measuring client satisfaction. It was developed by a, a gentleman by the name of Fred Reicheld. He wrote a Harvard Business Review article called The One Number You Need to Grow. Uh, he's since written two books, The Ultimate Question, The Ultimate Question 2.0. But what he really found that was transformational was instead of these big, expensive, slow-moving surveys with 40 or 50 questions, what he found is that if you ask people, how likely are you to recommend us to a friend or colleague? and use a zero to 10 scale, 
that that single question can actually predict the vast majority of what that person's going to do later in terms of, are they going to increase their spend? Are they going to go find another staffing firm, for example? If it's a candidate that you've placed, are they likely to stay on the assignment? You know, what we find on this is that the, the financial implications are huge. You know, a detractor, which is somebody that rates you a six or lower, somebody that's upset with you, is about 57% less likely to order again in the next year than a promoter is. And a promoter is somebody that gives you a nine or a 10. You know, on the job candidate side, if a detractor comes through, they're twice as likely to get fired. They're 1.8 more likely to, uh, to quit. And so, you know, when we're looking at this employment market and retention is so key and rehire is so key, you know, it is probably the best leading indicator of whether or not somebody's going to actually stay on that assignment. That's incredible. And then the MPS is something that's very near and dear to me. As uh, my marketing agency days, I've launched the first step we did with every single company we worked with was an NPS to understand what our strategy should be for the companies we were working with. We did that for staffing firms. We did it for software businesses. And I know for B2B SaaS, our rule of thumb that we found after working with a lot of companies is like under 30, work on your product, over 30, promote like hell. (laughs) And and 50 plus (laughs) triple down on promotion. And so we found that like, and it was crazy. It's like when I didn't pay attention to it and I would go promote when we had a company I worked with was like a 15 and we went out and started doing all this promotion. It was like, wow, nothing's converting. It's not working as well. And it's like, well, yeah, because your brand isn't good. So I think it's like such a key thing. Those stats you just talked about on the agency side are critical. How are people kind of using your software to, I mean, it sounds like you can identify the problems before they exist in some instances. With yeah. that, how is that? How are people implementing this? Yeah, so there's two types of ways that people will do surveys. And the first of which is kind of this relationship survey, right? So it's done maybe on an annual or a two exit per year kind of basis. And this is really saying like, hey, overall, how do you feel about your interactions with us? And that's really valuable. And it's it's an important you know, way to look at it. There's also what we're seeing more of now is people starting to actually go and automate with us so that they're getting feedback on a more regular cadence. You know, the way I view it is that relationship survey is kind of a report card. It's really valuable. We have a number of clients that have never done more than that and have seen their service levels just go skyrocket. So you don't have to do more than that to have an impact. That said, the people that are really now going and getting this feedback on a regular cadence, that kind of gives them not so much a report card, but actually a roadmap, right? This is the relationships right now, raw as this is happening. This is a client that's upset right now. Go fix it. This is a job candidate that's frustrated with their assignment right now, and they're going to leave. And so you have that ability to really get to the field. And you know, one of the things that you said that that, uh, I had to smile at was a lot of times when you're talking to owners of staffing agencies, even if they're doing an MPS, sometimes they don't really know what that number is. And the way that I view it is somebody that's really going to have consistently remarkable service outcomes. I can tell those firms because I can walk into any branch in the nation and whoever leads that branch will be like, oh yeah, you measure our MPS. Yeah, we're at a 68, but we're working on our responsiveness and our after hours because those are the big things that are coming up, right? It doesn't matter even, you know, that it's important for the owner to know, but really what's important is for the field to know. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I also, I mean, just jumping back on kind of the value of benchmarking, one of the things, or the value of the MPS, 
I find that the benchmarking capabilities of it, that's one thing I've always gotten excited about, just being able to see where you stand compared to your competitors. Do you offer that in the platform as well? Do you show percentiles? Yeah, we do. We offer benchmarking within the platform against a sort of separately set industry benchmark. And and in fact, the most recent year, the 2022 numbers, the client score has actually gone up to 31% net promoter score. And, and the talent side is about even with where it was, it's about 19%. And so that that's a, a really good indicator of an industry that's overall so-so slight below average in a typical year. And so that's kind of the best and the worst news to give to a staffing agency, right? Because on the one hand, if you're above that, you can really you know, make noise in the marketplace. To your point, you can really promote that and, and you can really credibly differentiate on service. On the flip side, it also means that whoever you're talking to across from you has likely been burned by one of your competitors, one yeah. of your peers. And so you really have to de-risk that decision of them deciding to work with you because they've already sort of been told that story before and it didn't come true. And so the more that you can sort of not tell your story, but prove your story, the the better off you're going to be. Yeah. And that's one of the next questions I had to ask. And we talked about this a little bit, but is, you know, how should agencies use this information on an ongoing basis? I mean, you've talked about how the frontline manager needs to know it, needs to be aware of it. And that's when the real power, that's where the power comes from it. But any advice on how they should be breaking this down, looking at it, what what approach to take there? Yeah, I'm going to speak kind of from the classical research perspective, David. And then I want to share kind of our philosophy and how it differs from how most people run an NPS program. So, you know, from the classical research standpoint, one of the biggest, most important things you can do is to segment that data and to get down to the individual customer. You know, that this is the where the danger of averages comes in. You know, if you and I are both customers and, you know, for example, you want while an agency's working on a placement for you and a hire for you, if you want an update twice a week, whether they've made any progress or not, and I find that to be too much, and I just want to know, you know, every couple of weeks that they're still working on it. If they go in the middle of that and they give us both an update every week, we're both going to be frustrated. You're not going to get enough. I'm going to get too much. And so we're in the people business. We have to be able to you know, customize that experience to the individual. So you want to be able to do that. You want to be able to segment. Uh, I'll just give you an example. One of the large light industrial clients that we work with, and this is not unique to them. If I walk into their Portland office, they have an NPS of 70%. I walk into the Seattle office, which is, you know, culturally similar, similar size, everything. And and that number is in the low single digits, a net promoter score of nine. So one's world-class, the other one's well below the industry average. They have the same structure. They have the same reporting tools. They have the same training. They have the same comp structure and yet two very different outcomes. And so reason I say that is that it's really important for them not to just cast this wide view but to actually go into the segments. Maybe it's line of business. Maybe it's even by recruiter, by account manager, by location. Dig in, understand who your stars are, shine the light on them, understand who has issues and help them get better. Yeah, I mean, I think that's... When I've run these in the past, actually, this was years ago at Traveler's Haven, but similar to what you're talking about, the experience I had, we ran it, broke it down by sales individual. Sounds like you do that for recruiters right now. And then we looked at... All right, well, who's the top? Well, I think one thing that I saw with it, people get their NPS and they're like, let's focus 100% on the problems. 
Yes. And it's like, let's just like, that's what we're going to do is we're going to work on all the problems and you should address the problems. But the thing that I always said, especially for earlier stage startup and software, focus on the promoters, yeah. identify who they are, and then realize that's your ideal customer. And then how do you get more of those? And so from a candidate perspective, it's like, these people like us, why do they like us? How do we shine the light more on that? Which is a, a thought as well. Well, and, and you hit on sort of that piece that I was, I was that second part of how I, I really kind of want to answer that. Sorry question. for jumping in there. <laughs> no, 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 no. It, it was, you know, when you take 18 minutes to answer the first part, it makes sense. <laughs> I just get excited about NPS. So. <laughs> <laughs> so philosophically, as we, as we launched Best of Staffing, that was the, the piece that we were realizing and sort of the, the, the moment on that was, oh my gosh, these guys are sitting on a gold mine of positivity that naturally human nature is we focus in on the negative. And this happens in our lives, right? We can get six compliments on yeah, the sweatshirt I'm wearing. And if the seventh person is like, oh my gosh, nice sweatshirt, you know, yeah, thank you. <laughs> See, there's one. So I just need six more, five more and I'm set. We'll focus on that negative one, right? It's human nature. And so that happens in a survey process as well. And it shouldn't because for, you know, even a firm that's at the average for the industry, you're going to have six, seven promoters for every detractor as a part of that. And so our philosophy is really, look, let's amplify those voices. And this is where, you know, I'm so excited that that we're working on the integration with you all because the best thing to do if somebody just gave you a nine or 10 and said, holistically, yes, I would recommend you is to ask them, okay, what might that recommendation look like? Who, who uh, is that? You would? Great. Yeah, great. <laughs> exactly. It's just a, yeah. it's such a logical um, yeah. tie-in, sort of, you know, the end of our process and the start of your process are so closely linked. And, Absolutely. you know, one of the big barriers that, that we run into with people asking for referrals is that they they don't know for sure that they've earned that referral, right? And so I'm scared to ask you if I think, like, I'm pretty sure that David's happy with the work we did, but I'm not positive. Well, here's a process that tells you for certain that David's really happy with yeah. it and giving you permission to ask that question, to expand the business, to look for other pieces and to ask for that referral. Yeah, it's like, hey, it looks like you're pretty happy with how things are going. Would it be okay if I asked you versus asking and they're like they rated you a one yesterday yes. <laughs> and they're like and you're and they're like i hate you like i don't yeah. we've actually we've had people to your point with a company launch the referral platform and then it was like it wasn't working and i was like this is really odd for us. like what's going on and then i asked i was like what like it was like a month and i'm like i what's your mps and they're like it was like negative something and i was yeah. just like i was like oh oh but like, let's, let's just call it like, you do not need, this is not what you should be working on right now. Like yeah. MPS, from my perspective, drives business strategy. Be, and I think that's what you guys, it sounds like that you are helping with that and actually facilitating that in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I, I think both of our businesses are built on a pretty important principle that I believe really heavily in, which is that we are rapidly hurtling ourselves towards radical service transparency. And I think that that's actually great, right? We're creating a true meritocracy now where it's not who the best marketer is. It's not who the best salesperson or recruiter is. It's who is best at delivering on the experience that they say that they're going to deliver on and who is best at amplifying those stories. And that's really, you know, I, I could talk about how great I think Clearly Rated is, and I obviously do, and I'm biased, and, and you could talk about staffing referrals in the same breath. 
it's way more credible when somebody else talks about how successful the program was that they ran with one of us. And, and that's the same for staffing firms, right? They, if you go in and you're in front of a hiring manager, talk about how great you are, they discount it, right? Of course, you have a vested interest in them believing that you're great. But if three other you know, firms gave testimonials and those firms are just like them and, and they say how great your staffing firm is, way more credible, right? If it's an actual referral, way more credible. Yeah. And and do you have any use cases or stories of companies that have kind of come to you guys, worked on their MPS and kind of gone to be best in class and like what that what those results actually look like? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's been a couple of examples that I like to really kind of you know focus on. One of which, and and I, I can't say the name of the the company, but large commercial staffing firm and their scores were going the wrong direction. They started with best of staffing and then they didn't make best of staffing and then they didn't make best of staffing. And to their credit, instead of saying, hey, I don't like this game anymore, I'm going to take my ball and go home. They really doubled down on it. They said, okay, this isn't working. Like We need to measure this more often. And we really need to build the culture around it. And the building the culture around it piece was probably the area that they were truly world-class on. And that's one of the ones where, you know, and I think about it, like anytime I run into somebody from that company, they're like, oh yeah, we know our score. They actually recognize internal recruiters when they reach a benchmark that's above the industry. They just do a lot right around, you know, kind of building that in. And that's really the key. When you have, you know, somebody that's in a, a lower level, it really takes getting it to the field. The large staffing firms that don't ever make that progress they have some of the best measurement programs out there. The problem is, is that there's a half a dozen people at corporate that know what the score is. And yeah, what it should be. yeah. That reminds me of my days at GE. It was like the marketing team had their eye on it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not yeah. sure where that information went beyond that. Yeah, it has to get to the people that can make the difference. Yeah, and, and I was actually just going to ask about that. And we talked about this a little bit of getting to the people that make a difference. Any recommendations on how to build the feedback loop? Because I've always... I mean, for staffing and referrals specifically, when we send out an MPS, if we get a negative, we have an automated email to schedule time to talk with a gift card. Like we, we want to not only get that score, we want to understand what's behind that score so that we can solve in a more meaningful way. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious if, if you've seen any best practices or company, you know, things that you'd recommend for staffing agencies in terms of taking action on the scores. Yeah, full disclosure, I'll probably steal that idea that you just, (laughs) I like that. And philosophically, you just have to understand, you have to put yourself in a mindset that when somebody gives you a detractor response, it's actually good news, right? It's sort of enveloped in sort of something that feels bad, but it's good news because they're giving you really one more chance to save that business. And so if you reach out, you know, the thing that you really need to know is that whatever your response is needs to be, you know, a phase shift bigger than what the mistake was. And so we really, you know, tell people like, look, it's oftentimes leaders, you'll, you'll recognize this. They'll say, look, if, if our recruiters just do our process, then we won't have detractors, right? Because the process has built in there, you know, saying expectations. And, and I tell them, I'm like, yeah, that's, that's like not needing an ambulance at the Daytona 500, because if everybody just drives where they're supposed to, there shouldn't be any accidents. <laughs> like, there's going to be accidents, right? It's that we're not perfect. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and so you just have to have that triage plan in place. And two things that matter is, it's not just sort of how you recover, but the speed in which you recover as well. So that's kind of another thing to kind of keep in mind with that. And, you know, just go into it the way that you would want if there was a mistake. How would you want somebody to recover? And and if you do that, then most rational people will let you off the hook and give you another shot. 
Yeah, and I, I think from uh, at least my experience building a business, and I there's I can't remember the speaker. It was a Harvard business, you know, MB, professor, but she was talking about the the number one reason businesses fail is they stop looking at the problems. And she was talking about Kodak and how everybody knew the digital. They had built a digital camera, I think. I, like, I think they like were working on one, and like, but they were not willing to acknowledge what the problems were that were in front of them. And to successfully grow a business, I think. You should be openly and aggressively attacking in the problems and trying to understand them as fast as you can. So I think your tool enables that. Yeah, I think that that's right. And I think that the other thing that this industry specifically sort of separates the the winners and the losers as we go forward is who's willing to innovate on what worked last year and not just go back to the well and do the same thing over and over again. Who's Who's understanding that expectations are changing the demographics of the people we serve are changing. And with that, we have to continue to evolve and iterate on what works. And it doesn't mean that you throw out all the lessons. You know, if you've been a 25-year veteran of this industry, you don't throw those out. You just have to be open to what the data suggests are changing expectations. Yeah, absolutely. And with that, so I know we've talked a lot about the value of MPS. You, right at the start of the, before we started the podcast, we're talking about the three R's. Could you just dig into that a little bit, share what that means for the audience? So this is you know really tied to you know what we have is a, a town engagement product, which is an onboarding survey, a 30-day check-in, and an end of assignment survey. And people can kind of change it based on what they they need. But what we really target there are what what we call the three R's: retention, referral, and rehire. And especially in you know the talent market that we have right now, you know, where there's almost two for one open jobs for unemployed people looking for those jobs. People are quitting at historically high levels. And so it is actually a a great opportunity for staffing firms, assuming that they can actually keep people on the assignments that they're placing them on. And that's where the retention piece of that comes in and where it's so critical to get feedback through that process. The referral piece can be literally the you know, least expensive, most credible, most untapped way for yeah. people to grow not only their candidate pool, but also even the client side of things. And then rehire is sort of the, the piece that as an industry, we probably mess up the most. You know, People come to the end of an assignment and we treat it like a, a text breakup. You know, you're done. And if we have something, we'll call you. And, and that sits really poorly with candidates. So we just need to manage those three aspects really well. And yeah, the people that are really putting the resources and effort behind this are having huge impact and, and positive impact in those three areas. Yeah. And that was actually the next question. I think I heard you answer this on Dan's video just a, a week ago, but the correlation between MPS revenue growth, I mean, that's ultimately what everybody's looking for is how do we grow your agency faster? Do you know what that is? Have you seen it? Any anecdotes? Yeah, we've we've analyzed this with a number of different staffing firms that have given us access to their financial data. And it always comes in somewhere around the same area. And I, I think I mentioned at the start, Detractor is 57% less likely to order in the next year. But that only speaks to kind of one aspect of it, because if they do come back, on average, a promoter in the next year after they gave a score that was a promoter score will increase their spend by about 8%. A detractor, if they come back at all, will decrease it by 14%. Oh, wow. So it's not just okay. churn. It's also sort of, are you growing that account yeah. or is it going down? Awesome. That's great. Anything on the rehire side of that? I'm just yeah, I, Imagine that's got to be, I don't know. Yeah. Well, let, let me tell you this. Our most recent numbers 
We just did a study with Career Builder and the American Staffing Association. Our most recent numbers still suggest that almost a third of talent don't even get contacted by the staffing firm when their assignment's coming to an end. <laughs> so, you know, step number one, like let's actually be present yeah. uh, in that transition. One of the other things that blows me away, David, is like you could go back to the envelope very easily and you can say, okay, if David's coming off an assignment and I can place him again as a staffing firm, I save job posting fees. I save on background check. I save on drug check. My unemployment insurance is lower amongst any of a number of other things I'm even leaving off that list. So if I can place you versus placing somebody else, I've saved at a minimum $1,500 to $3,000 for the firm. And yet as a recruiter, I don't know a single staffing firm in the nation that actually pays a recruiter more if they place somebody that's already been placed than if they place somebody brand new. That's interesting. I didn't even think about that. They probably drop commissions yeah. <laughs> or, yeah. or, or stay the same. Right, like, exactly. And, and technically, this is the second round is actually more profitable. So if you want, that's the behavior you want to have happen. You should have probably a, a bigger commission on the renewal. Yeah. And it's an easier yeah. thing to do too, but that would focus the recruiters in the right direction. That's I've never, never thought about that. That's really cool. Yeah, we're incenting the wrong behavior when it comes to, to rehire specifically. Yeah, that sounds like it. So with that, we're going to shift gears a little bit off of MPS and go to EMPS, Employee Net Promoter Score. I feel like this is newer, a little bit newer for everybody. I've uh, also dabbled in this for years and have found it super valuable. And it's very predictive of who's going to stay with your company or not. But maybe you explain what EMPS is, how it's used, what the difference is. Yeah. So at the core level, what we're doing with EMPS is just asking the same question of your internal employees. So if asked, how likely are you to recommend ABC staffing firm as a good place to work? And so that's really kind of turning it on its head a little bit and saying, okay, do we think that that's a good place to work? Would you be able, to, you know, willing to refer to somebody else that might be considering working here? Same principles apply. You know, the score is the percentage of promoters minus the percentage of detractors. But what's really interesting when you look at this piece of it and sort of why we launched it, you know, there, there's a million ways that you can collect satisfaction data from your employees. And, you know, there's also a million award programs out there. And so we, we didn't offer this until 2020 because we didn't exactly know what we were going to do to really, you know, differentiate and add enough value to justify it. And at the end of the day, what we decided was that, hey, here's our opportunity to build what has become the biggest database and benchmarking data around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, and, and that matters a lot to us internally. And so, you know, as uh, many people did, you know, when at George Floyd's murder, we sort of recognized that, hey, we're not doing enough. We, we were on that journey internally, but candidly, some of my employees just challenged us, like, what are we doing externally? You know, we have, you know, megaphone into this big industry that deals with a lot of employees. How are we influencing them? And that was really where we kind of said, okay, let's really make this a core component so that people can not only get feedback and determine, you know, what they're doing well, what they're doing poorly, but they can also actually understand, you know, if they are creating an equitable work environment. So we give them representation data, but we also give them that experience data, you know, by race and ethnicity, by gender, by identity, you know, understanding, for example, that maybe you have, we had one of our 
firms that we did this for, they had two times the number of single parents of the national average. And they had no idea of that, right? And so it really impacted like, oh, okay, flexibility really matters maybe more for us, for our employees than it does for some others. And they they really were able to tailor what they offered in a benefits package based on that knowledge. And how are you, so are you doing that internally for the staffing agency specifically with the EMPS? Are you also doing it on the candidate side to help them deliver better to the clients? Yeah. So right now we're doing it on the internal employee. We have matched up survey responses with EEOC data on the job candidate side, which is not perfect, right? It's better to have sort of self-reported. You can go into more you know, detail, more, more areas within that, but it's a, it's a good starting point. And, you know, honestly, one of the things that we see as the future is making that a part of the best of staffing talent component of it as well. Oh, that's amazing. So basically having DEI awards tied into clearly rate as well. That, that is the, the right, that sounds like the right path. (laughs) moral path. That'll be, you know, it's, it's one of the things like you we're we're bootstrapped. And so we continue to, to have to, you know, make those trade-offs on what we invest in, but it's something that we're really passionate about. And we think we could do a great service. The industry actually has, when it comes to the place talent, the few times we've looked at it, the industry has a great story to tell there. Yeah, we've seen actually for the couple of big firms that we've worked with on it, we've seen actually that their NPS scores of their place talent are as high for minorities as they are for their white employees, as high for female as for male. Awesome. That's like, great. Yeah, there's there's some pretty strong equity data in there and a pretty good story to tell, but most people don't have the data to really tell it. I love that. I love that you're digging into that. And it's it's something that every business needs right now and needs yeah. to be thinking about, needs to be top of mind. And most people don't have the tools or the data to even think about how to approach it. I think that's uh, one of the hard things, even for our business. Like, all right, we're small, so you know, but it's like, how do you how do you even approach this topic? What's what are the steps? I think any help on that front, and if you're in, so and that's tied into the EMPS as well. That's where that, that is. That's, yep. it's a yes, DEI it's and EMPS. That's cool. right. And last area I wanted to jump into on this conversation, and we'll get to kind of the the fast track questions. But you also have an online reputation management component to this. Reputation management, I, the stat I saw the other day is that 86% of employees and job seekers research company reviews and ratings to decide where to apply for a job. Online reputation, I think it's absolutely critical. I mean, the stat proves it, but it's, it is critical, becoming more critical. I uh, saw Lauren Jones had a post the other day about, I think it was Lauren, about the importance of reviews. And it's like, this is all, I look at IMDB every day. I'm on... Yeah. Rotten Tomatoes. I'm on Yelp. I'm like looking at popular dishes to figure out what to eat. Like <laughs> candidates are doing the same thing, right? But they're yeah. doing it for your staffing agency. So tell me a little bit about what what reputation management is to you and how you guys approach it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. We've been tracking this since actually 2008 in our industry studies. And it was in, I think, 2018 that officially for job candidates, online ratings and reviews passed even a personal referral. Really? Yeah. And so uh, what's interesting is the two really are sit alone at the top and they work well together. So if I'm going to get a referral from you, let's say for a restaurant, you know, we both uh, spend some time in Portland. So let's say that you say, oh my gosh, you have to absolutely go check out this restaurant. I'd be crazy not to at least go online and see what other people say about this, right? Yeah, Maybe you yeah. have very different tastes than you know average. Maybe you just had a great experience and everybody else has terrible experience, right? So why wouldn't I use the two in conjunction? And especially when you look at Gen Y and younger, that generation has 
never had to make a decision without access to this kind of data. And so to think that they would trust something as important as their career, you know, on either side, right, as a hiring manager or or as somebody that's looking for a job, if you're going to trust something that important as to who you hire or who helps you find that next job in your career, how would you not go and find as much information as possible about what other people who've made that exact same decision, the experience that they've had? And that's really kind of how we approach it. it you know, within the Clearly Rated platform, it automatically takes that 10-point net promoter score, changes it to a five-star rating that everybody can digest. And at clearlyrated.com, you can publish those profiles. You don't have to air your dirty laundry. So it's that and testimonials that are part of that. But we're a huge believer, and we have been for years, that you know, coupling the feedback with that transparency is ultimately going to be where everybody's going to end up. I completely agree with that. I've never thought about how those things connect, but I can tell you, I have a friend, I won't name him. When he gives me a restaurant recommendation, I always look at Yelp no matter what. Yeah. But when he looks at him, it's like, I'm like, I see a 3.5. I'm like, absolutely not. Right. <laughs> like like yeah. that was a great, great referral to this restaurant, but not, not hitting the, <laughs> the target that, you know, and you start no. to trust your friend's judgment then. <laughs> no, so I, I grew up in Montana and I've, I've got that same friend, one of my close friends from Montana. Yeah, yeah. This guy will pick every restaurant that is just barely passing the health inspector and, and <laughs> the reviews show. And he's like, oh, it's the best, best place, best place to go for a burger. I'm like, yeah, but two out of three people are sick for the next 24 <laughs> hours after going there. Oh, that's great. That's great. And so do you have any examples of on the reputation management component of it? Like, it sounds like you have your clearly rated score that shows up visibly. But when it comes to the Google reviews, Glassdoor, yeah. how are you approaching that? Do you help actually improve the reputation? Yeah. So there's a couple of ways that, that we kind of help staffing firms impact that. The first of which is just having you know, really the the fullest story of that. So if you look at Google or Glassdoor or Indeed or any of these others, they're going to have sort of a self-selected group. Some of them are people that you placed. Some of them are people that candidly didn't get placed and they're angry about that. Some of them are clients. Some of them are not clients. And so with ours, because it's a, a list that comes from the staffing firm of everybody they've placed and everybody that they've worked with, those scores, they tend to be more ratings and they tend to be a more accurate view because not only are there more ratings, but it is everybody is getting that same access to give that feedback. So the clearly rated profile page is the start of that. In addition, we've also launched just recently a program where at the end of the survey, we can request for people to go and leave you a Google review, a Glassdoor review, and an Indeed review, awesome. you know, however you want to do that. And so we're just launching that now to really help people impact that because you know, people will be like, well, which one should I care about? Well, do a Google search of yourself, your firm, yeah. anything that shows up in those first three pages, you should care about. And yeah. you just have to, because if you have great Google reviews and your Glassdoor reviews are terrible, then it's going to put that little bit of you know question in a candidate's mind or in a client's mind. Like they want to see that you're consistently good across platforms because they believe that that means you probably didn't game it. Absolutely. I have that experience all the time. I mean, that's the the meta review world. <laughs> you know, yeah. You're looking at all of them and saying, all right, well, how do I actually judge this? And if there's 50 reviews in a one star and one platform, odds of you working with them are probably pretty low. So. That's exactly right. Yeah. And we've actually done this research. What we know is, you know, you need to have over a four star rating and you need to have ideally over 50 reviews. And if you're in those two areas, then it's going to be a net positive. If you're below either of those, it's going to be a net negative. 
I love that data. I didn't know that. And I'm, I don't know if you have anything related to this, but this might be my own world of reviews. But when I see all five star, yeah. don't trust it. If I see a hundred, if I see a hundred five stars, I also don't trust that. I'm like, that person's gaming it. And I've actually had a specific experience where somebody was suing people for, they were sending out letters to people for Google reviews to have like a cease and desist, take it down. And so they had a, they had a hundred percent of, you know, five out of five and it was a situation, but I'm curious to know what, what the take is on that. Yeah. So what's interesting is the FTC has been a little bit late to the game, but they've actually started to really come in and not only provide guidance around what they call review gating, which is, you know, which happens low key anywhere you go, right? If you go to a restaurant and, you know, you complain about the soup. They're not likely to be like, oh, you know, I'm sorry that you said the soup was you know, disgusting. You know, would you be willing to share that on Yelp? You know, they don't ask you when things go wrong. But if you're like, oh, my gosh, that's the best soup I've ever had. They're like, oh, thank you so much. Would you mind reviewing us on Yelp? Well, technically, that's not what you know, you're influencing the reviews there. So there's there's a whole bunch of rules around that. You can't pay for reviews. You can't uh, fake reviews at, that are really you know open and shut. But they've really started to now focus on you have to give everybody an equal response to give you a review. So if you have a program in place where you're just targeting promoters, that ultimately puts you at risk for some pretty hefty FTC fines that they're just now starting to to do. And so we've actually built our program to allow everybody to be encouraged to take those reviews because we know ultimately that the, the negative people are already out there giving reviews. And so what we're really trying to do is, is open that door so the people that gave you an eight, a nine, a 10 are also going to be you know, moved to go and give that review. That's kind of how we're approaching it. I love that. So you're trying to create full transparency, honest. Here's the, here's the real situation with this agency which focuses and helps level everybody up. On that front with the FTC, I also, personal story, but I'll try to keep it short. But as a marketing agency, we had one customer that was determined to pay for the reviews. And we told them, we cannot do this. This is against the guidelines. We found the FTC guidelines and we're like, we should not do this. We did that. We ended up up getting convinced to do it. Bad idea. It was like seven years ago. And we did it for them on Yelp. And Yelp immediately found that page took a screenshot of that page and took their Yelp review down for two months. Yeah. <laughs> and so Yelp was actively policing this in a way that's pretty meaningful. And I think over time, all of these review sites and FTC is just going to continue to get more and more accurate, which is really good. So, yeah. yeah, if you look at the numbers, I don't have them right in front of me, but somewhere along the lines, when you look at job candidates or hiring managers, it's somewhere along the lines of, 60 to 65% that trust online review content versus like 13% that trust marketing and advertising. And so if you look at that level, that level of trust is even higher when you look at Gen Y and younger. You know, the FTC should be focusing a lot yep. of effort on making sure that those stay credible because right now they're leveraged at a much higher rate than traditional marketing and advertising. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that. So with that, we're going to go to the kind of the fast track questions, end of the interview. Yeah. So first question I've got for you is what advice do you wish you were given before entering the staffing industry? I think the advice I, I wish I was given before entering would have been think through the best ways to really prove out 
ROI for this industry. It's one of the things I think we've done a much better job of in you know recent years. But everything in this industry is so focused on the financial implications of it that you really have to be able to, to prove out that ROI. And we've gotten better at that now. I think 95% of our clients say that they have a positive ROI with our program. But you know, face, you know, build every aspect of your experience around proving ROI. Yeah, that was great advice. In the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? <laughs> Remote work, flexibility. Yeah, we, we were, you, were you in office full time before? We were in office pretty much full time. We had a couple of people working remotely, but it was sort of it, it wasn't a core part of our philosophy. And the reality is, is that my eyes are more open now to a whole subsection of our employees and of the workforce that are phenomenal employees that just need more flexibility than I needed with the support network that I have. And so I miss sometimes having the sort of energy that comes with the traditional office environment. But yeah, it is the future. Employees aren't going back to it. They're willing to find a job where they are given that flexibility and and I think that that's one of the key areas that's, that's changed. That's probably net positive, certainly for equity in the workplace. Yeah, I, I think that's really great as well. And how has a failure or apparent failure set you up for later success? I'll give you this example. I was thinking about this earlier when we were talking about it. Our third client that we had in the space, we got a list of, of their clients to send them a survey. And they had missorted the Excel file. This is way oh, yeah. back in the day where, yeah. where we were uploading them physically and manually. And so instead of saying, hi, David, please give us feedback, it said, hi, Sue, please give us feedback. And so we sent it out, caught the air. One of their clients was really upset with them. And they caught the air and they sent through. And I was at a trade show and I get a call from one of my employees and she's like, oh my God, you're going to kill me. She's like, I just sent out the reminder and I forgot to make the changes to that deal. So we just did it a second time. Hi, Sue, feedback on this. And I was mortified. And so she's like, what, what should I do? And I'm like, well, that it was in the Seattle branch of this firm. And we're in Portland, about four hours away. I said, you need to get in the car and you need to get them a nice basket of things because ultimately it's the people that are there that are having to do the recovery because we made this mistake. And she started driving up there and I called corporate. And I said, look, I understand if you guys don't ever want to use this again, here's why this happened. Here's why yeah, we didn't yeah. catch it and it won't happen again. And about the time that the end of the day was coming around, I got an email that was forwarded and it was the Seattle branch. And the Seattle branch said, hey, I don't know if we're continuing to use these people, but if we are, you need to know like how you know, committed they are to the relationship. They had somebody drive all the way up here, apologized in person, sort of was willing to actually sit and make phone calls side by side with us to, to sort of make this right. And we've had that client ever since then. That's and so nice. the lesson to me was like, there's almost nothing you know, that, that you can do that is going to be an absolute deal changer if it's sort of, you know, just a one-off mistake. You just have to show that you care about that mistake as much or more than they do. And ultimately, they ended up telling that story over and over again. They had me present to their leadership team on service recovery. And it just made me realize that so much of what people are looking for is like, do you care about this as much as I care about this? I think that goes back to the how to deal with the detractors. <laughs> That's like the perfect yeah. example. Like care about it more than they care about it. And it'll and they'll be like, oh, you're on my side. <laughs> yeah. And whatever they expect you to do to recover, like you just need to go so far beyond that 
that, you know, the way I, I think about it is, look, if, if a mistake happens, you've written, you know, the story's been written, but you still have a chance to write the headline. And yeah. I think that that's, you know, if you take that approach to it, you can really do the right thing. I love that. I love that. Last question I've got for you is what is the book or books you've given most as a gift and why? Yeah. Well, certainly in our business with Net Promoter Score, the ultimate question 2.0 are, are great books just to help people understand the power of feedback and of Net Promoter Score as a methodology. The other book that I think is fascinating, I, I'm a huge Malcolm Gladwell fan. So any yeah. of his books, and it actually is an audio book, the Talking with Strangers, our recent book is amazing as an audio book that sort of listens like a podcast, will fundamentally change how you sort of think about human interactions and and just really, you know, great stories. I listened to it again, actually just a couple months ago, but there's another story, another book that came out after one of his earlier books called Made to Stick by Chip and Dan Heath. And it really talks about sort of why some ideas take off and others don't. So as a marketer, there's a lot of great marketing kind of insight in there, but even separate of that, just kind of thinking through, you know, how we persuade people and and why some ideas become a movement and other ideas sort of fade into the backdrop. It's a really great book. Awesome. Great recommendations. With that, any closing comments for the audience? No, I'll just say, look, at the end of the day, we're all going to be competing on the one thing that we can differentiate on, which is the service experience, how we make people feel. What you do in the staffing industry unto itself is not so unique that other people aren't doing it. I don't care what your process is. So it's the, you know, it's the execution of that process and sort of how you've built that process to create these wow experiences is really critical. And that should be really good news for, you know, there's a lot of really great service providers out there. And that should be really great news because if you're judged on service quality and you're delivering that service quality, there's really nothing that can keep you from from outpacing the, the rest of the industry for growth. That's great insights, Eric. Really appreciate having you on the show. Thanks so much for joining today. Absolutely, David. I could talk about this stuff for hours. So thank you. Same same here. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The Staffing Show. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter at staffinghub.com to never miss an episode. Until next time.